Welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. If you're a first-time listener, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to dispense with all of the normal introductory comments and turn to my guest today. And obviously, we're talking about the situation in Palestine. Our uh, longtime counterpuncher and friend Ramsey Baroud is back with us today, editor of the Palestine Chronicle. Very important source for everybody to be checking out in these days. Ramsey, welcome back to Counterpunch. Thank you for having me, Eric. Always a pleasure. So let's begin, since we're so limited on time today, tell us about the latest developments. We're speaking here, Ramsey, on the evening of October 11th, U.S. time. Where do we stand on the situation in Gaza and in this conflict more broadly? Right. So today is the fifth day of the war, and and I think we can actually do refer to it as war in the sense that uh, Palestinian resistance capabilities has actually developed beyond the normal or the expected style of guerrilla warfare in this particular uh, uh, situation. And and, and that's an interesting subject on its own because guerrilla warfare usually is is predicated on what they call the war of maneuver as opposed to the war of position. Uh, They are not able to hold position. They are not able to advance physically, uh, but they actually succeeded in doing so for several days in in areas that we, um, that in, in southern Israel, but it's important to also note that we call them, we don't call this Israel proper or so-called Israel proper, we call it Israeli settlements. The reason be it is that these areas are actually part of Gaza that Israel has annexed in, in uh, contrary to the armistice agreement of 1948. So they are not really inside Israel, as, as most of the media keeps saying, that they are still within the Gaza that has been determined or the boundaries of Gaza that have been determined according to the armistice agreement uh, and that is recognized internationally. So we have to distinguish between what they call the Gaza envelope, which is are the few kilometers in various directions around Gaza and between the so-called Gaza proper, which is recognized by the United Nations as the state of Israel. Um, what we have seen is something is absolutely um, unprecedented in the history of this conflict. And I think it not only took by Israel by surprise, it has completely demolished the image of Israel as a country and a powerful state that is able uh, to initiate war, to determine the directions and 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 the politics of war, and to use war for geopolitical reasons. The Palestinians just ended something that Israel has perfected for decades. The consequences of this are going to be felt for many years to come. I'd like to discuss some of those consequences, if you could, and specifically in the context of this phrase we've heard repeated over and over in the mainstream media, Israel's 9-11, et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard that. And it raises the question, one that was asked in the United States around 9-11 and in the days after, to what extent did the actions leading to this create the situation that we see now? What we called at the time, of course, Chalmers Johnson blowback. We talked about all of these issues back then in the context of 9-11. Ramsey, you've been on this show several times. We've spent a lot of time talking about slow genocide, about the erasure of Palestinians, their identity, their nationhood, their history, and so much more. How much have all of these themes that we've been talking about over the years that you've been coming to Counterpunch, writing for Counterpunch and many other publications, how much of that has led us to this point? 
Absolutely. If, if you uh, check out many of my articles on Counterpunch throughout the years, I have made the argument and repeatedly so to the point that maybe I became too redundant, which is there is going to be a major Palestinian reaction. You can't expect people to be dehumanized, to be subjugated, to be oppressed, to be killed on a daily basis. And, and not just that, it, now it goes beyond it to the point of there's this sense of triumph, triumphism that, that prevails over Israel, that we won, it's over. And we, not only we, we have altered the geography of this place and we are going to annex whatever remains of your homeland, we are celebrating and dancing at the ruins of it. So you have this, you, you have this in the last few years, this, this return of the settler, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the radical extremist Jewish settler that has historically been marginalized by, by liberal Zionism is now in the driving seat of Israeli politics. You have the Itamar bin Veers, the, the likes of, um, of Bislil Smotrich, who is, uh, you know, arguing that there is no such thing as Palestinians. They don't exist. They are invented. This is this is functional. It's functional because it creates this process of dehumanization that we are ready for the final move. We are ready to go beyond this whole Palestine thing. We are ready to go beyond any discussion on Palestinian rights or Palestinian justice or two-state solutions. I mean, sad that many of us are still engaged in one state, two states. Israel has moved way beyond that in their political discourse. And we haven't been paying much attention to it. But if you pay very, very close attention to the, to the Israeli political discourse, they are changing the names of the streets. They are changing the... the basically, they are depriving Palestinians even of their history, their culture, their spirituality. And they are taking over Jerusalem, one house after the other, one street after the other. So Palestinians have nothing to lose. And on top of this, Trump comes and normalizes between several Arab countries and Israel. And then Biden does not reverse that cycle. And he is invested in more, uh, more normalization between Israel, the Saudis, and others with the hope of saving the Israeli economy that has been crashing in recent years. He wants the Arabs to, to throw a lifeline to Israel. And the Palestinians are not completely in that conversation. They don't belong in that conversation. And then, then Netanyahu in this final, I mean, you really can't make the, the, these things up. It's like, it's like you're watching this bewildering, you know, movie where Netanyahu stands at the United Nations General Assembly in September with a map called the New Middle East. It reminds us of the New Middle East of Condoleezza Rice when she declared the New Middle East after the Iraq War. And when, when Israel went and bombed Lebanon back to the Stone Age, as they called it in 2006, she said, these are the pangs of birth of the new Middle East. Their new Middle East always are accompanied by extremely violent and genocidal wars. But at that moment of absolute Israeli triumph, it's the moment that the Palestinians reversed everything. And Israel is at the lowest point not only of, of its history in, in the last 75 years, but rather of the history of the Zionist movement. I mean, Netanyahu said it very clearly. He said, these are the most difficult moments we've ever experienced in the last 100 years. We can reverse 
or reinterpret this meaning and say, it also means that the Palestinians besieged, mind you, in Gaza, lacking, lacking life-saving medications, uh, operating with no clean water, 97 to 98% of all water in the Gaza Strip is polluted, according to the United Nations. They live in a place that the UN has already declared uninhabitable. Yet somehow, they managed to muster enough resources, carriage, power, and they completely threw the whole Zionist project out of the door. It's going to take us a long time to try to process all of this. And this is why Israel is retaliating with so much impunity. They are killing and wounding thousands of Palestinians. They have demolished 12.5% of all of Gaza. They have no electricity, no water, no food, no medications, and they are killing UN, UN workers. They are killing ambulance drivers. They are killing uh, uh, medical staff. They are killing journalists. They are killing everybody. But it's coming out of the need for vengeance. It will not change what has already been established. Well, that actually is exactly where I wanted to go in the few minutes that we have remaining with you, Ramsey. Talk to us a little bit about the article. We republished it in Counterpunch yesterday, October 10th. The Gaza War is lost. So tell us a little bit about, A, how the Gaza War is already lost, and B, the second part of the article's title, but will Netanyahu concede? What does this mean politically? And just to throw a another wrinkle in it for you, you already mentioned in the article as well, and you mentioned it earlier in your comments about some of the extremists in the, in the cabinet, and they seem to have disappeared. Where are they? Where are their voices? What is happening politically with regard to Israel? But more importantly, how is the war already lost? There are certain breeds of people that are quite cowardly, but they only emerge and re-emerge when they feel that they have the space to get away with their crimes, with their behavior, because there's no accountability, nobody is stopping them, nobody is pushing back against them. This is this was the rise of Itamar Bingvir, Smotrich, Derry, and all others. This is the age of the cowards simply because they felt that it's all over for Palestinians. They are starving in Gaza. They are confined within small spaces within the West Bank, which is divided between various regions, Jenin, Nablus, uh, Bethlehem, and so forth and so on. They have a queasing leadership. And the Arabs are actually investing billions of dollars uh, in, in, in Israeli economy. So it really doesn't matter anymore. And But when Palestinians basically showed their claws and they showed their ability to be strong and to fight, and for the first time in their history, they are actually doing it entirely independent from any outside influence. Even Iran is now, we are being told by top American newspapers, citing American intelligence, had no idea that this was going to happen. So this can't be blamed on Iran. It can't be blamed on anybody else. It's a 100% a Palestinian political decision carried out with 100% Palestinian military decision. Now, Zionism and Israel are predicated on the principles of total and absolute Israeli political supremacy, Israeli military supremacy. Israel arranges the pieces. Nobody has the right to influence Israeli thinking or Israeli behavior. That has changed. That has changed. The other thing is that the idea of the Israeli, remember 1967 and the massive propaganda that emerged after that war, that Israel alone managed to uh, defeat several Arab countries combined, 
uh, and only few Israelis died in the process. This is an invincible army, we were told. And we had American soldiers and officers coming to every American high school and university in this country, lecturing people on the power of, of David versus the, the, you know, the Goliath. And so forth. Of course, the Arabs were anything but a Goliath, and Israel was anything but David. You know, if, you know, they were. It was America that was fighting. They were fighting with American intelligence, uh, information, weapons, strategies, and so forth and so on. And the whole Western world was behind them. This has been demolished. Palestinians destroyed that completely. How do you rebuild that? How can you possibly rebuild that at a time that the Middle East itself is changing? And at a time that, that you have new emerging global powers like China and Russia and the U.S. is no longer the one that is controlling or, or you know, kind of manipulating the politics of the Middle East through its own wars and, and political interventions. This is why the Americans have sent the, uh, the, the USS uh, Gerald Ford to the Mediterranean because they are kind of a desperate attempt at flexing their muscles. Oh, no, we didn't go anywhere. We're still here and we are the main influencers of the outcomes of everything. But clearly, clearly, everyone knows that this is not the case. And it's a desperate attempt at saving face and salvaging whatever can be salvaged out of this mess. Absolutely understood. In the uh, couple minutes we have remaining, I promised I would get you out of here on time. About uh, 90 seconds or so, what can be done? Specifically, I'm asking about the Palestine Solidarity Movement internationally, so one that has grown by leaps and bounds, in, in, in at least in the time that I've been politically active, um, especially for younger people. What do you think can be done right now? Where is the greatest need and where can it be uh, supportive? So, so mainstream corporate media is solidifying behind Israel like never before in history. Absolutely, this is unprecedented because they know that this is a decisive battle, the battle to end all battles, if you want, uh, if you will. So, so what we need to do is we need to fight back in every platform, in every arena, in every street, in every university campus, in every social media platforms. Don't wait for others to tell you, go and speak out. Go and speak out yourself. Lead the way and allow this to happen. The other thing, please do not condition your solidarity with the Palestinian people on obvious caveats. I support Palestinians, but I don't like Hamas. I support Palestinians, but I, I, you know, I'm against this kind of struggle versus this kind of struggle. Enough with conditional solidarity. If you see what the pro-Israeli camp is doing at the moment, nobody, and I have I'm yet to see anybody, whether liberal, conservative, religious, secular, American, French, whatever, it's always sub endless support for Israel. Pray for Israel. Nobody, nobody conditions that on. I don't like Netanyahu, but I support Israel. I'm not I'm against the Likud party, but I support Israel. In our case, there are still a lot of this wishy-washy kind of activism that's going on. We support Palestinians and their right to resist, their right to fight back, their right to live on their own homeland, their, their right to achieve their rightful political aspiration, their freedom and their justice. Ramsey Baroud, the editor of Palestine Chronicle, author of many books, regular contributor to Counterpunch as well. Ramsey, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes tonight. Really appreciate it. Of course, my pleasure, Eric. Thank you very much. Listeners, viewers, thank you. As always, we'll be back very soon with another episode. Talk to you then.